So pumped to be with you guys today. Well, if you don't know, my name is Pastor Jared. I'm the pastor of our Access community, which is the Young Adults Community of Resurrection Life Church. So excited to be here with y'all tonight. It's going to be good, and I'm going to jump right into it. So we're in a series of messages uh, today, or yeah, this month, called Devoted. And what we're looking at is a biblical view of friendships, right? So all last month, the month of March, we talked about winning the war of our mind, right? And specifically, we centered on this phrase of like, man, we become what we behold, right? So this idea of, okay, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, they have a profound impact on the way we live our life. If we're beholding these things, we're going to conform into their image, right? But if we behold the Lord... And through his word, we're going to conform into him, his image, right? Last week, we looked at, man, we really become like those who we hang out with, right? And we saw that through 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, which says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So we looked at last week, we were like, hey, If this is true, and another translation of this verse says, bad company corrupts good morals, right? If this is true that, man, if we have friendships that are not pushing us towards Christ, then that's actually going to inhibit the growth that we can have with the Lord. That's going to corrupt good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. If that's true, then also the opposite is true, that good company actually promotes good morals, propels us to that thing that God has placed us on the earth for. And I believe in this room that God has ordained some friendships, even to start, to bloom, to blossom, to go deeper, deeper into the Lord and to propel us toward the thing that God has called us to for our life. So last week we looked at the tale of three boats. We looked at the story of Jonah, how, man, there's sometimes there's people we have in our life that just create storms, right? Like Jonah was on the boat, created a whole storm for the mariners, and then they were like, man, they didn't even do anything wrong, but they were in this storm. But as soon as Jonah was outside of that boat, the storm ceased, right? So also there's some people in our life that maybe God is asking us to take a step away from, right, in order to pursue the things that God has called us to pursue, right? And then we also looked at the story of John and Peter, how, man, like, that's a, that's a view of biblical, biblical friendship, is that, man, that two people would know each other so deeply, so intimately, and then spur one another on to get as close to Jesus as possible, as quickly as possible. And that's, what, that's kind of where we're going to lean today, is we're going to say, man, what could our friendships actually achieve for us? And what could God do through our godly friendships? We're going to kind of center on this one statement and one phrase. As I've been kind of looking at different people throughout the Bible and different friendships that I've seen in the Bible, I really came to this one statement. And a lot of what we do today is going to reference back to this statement. And it says, the God kind of friendships So the friendships that God desires are marked by a shared unity and a shared mission. The God kind of friendships are marked by a shared unity and a shared mission. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we center on you. And Lord, we just say right now, Lord, that all all eyes are on you, Jesus. All eyes are on you. 
And Lord, I pray this almost every week, and I feel like I could pray it every day and still wouldn't be enough. But Lord, out of Psalms 139, Lord, search us, Lord, know us. Test our anxious thoughts, God. See if there's any hurtful or wicked way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. Jesus, we want to look more and more like you every single day. God, I thank you, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened so that we can know you better, God, and have our our hearts awakened to the things that you've called us for and called us to. Lord, I love you, God. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, so we're gonna look, uh, we're gonna start right at the beginning and look at the first relationship that God had actually instituted on the earth. And so for that, we're actually gonna go back to Genesis 1, verse 27 through 28. So kind of like an overview of where I'm hoping to go in the next 25 minutes here is I'm gonna look at a series of four stories throughout the Bible. And what we're gonna see is that the friendships that are talked about in these four stories, they both had a shared unity, right? They had a commitment to be together, right? And they actually liked to be together. (laughs) And then they also had a shared mission, And the reason why I'm saying this is because I think there's a lot of friendships in this room right now that are, you guys are like, you guys are friends and maybe you even have Christian friends, but I would wonder like, do you and your Christian friends actually do Christian things? Or are you just like, you know, hey, oh, I have my Christian friend. And so we're just going to binge watch Netflix every time we hang out. And oh, I have, you know, my Christian friends, they're Christian. Check. Okay. Let's, you know. I don't know, let's play sports and do all these fun things and all that different stuff. And I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily bad. It's good to have friends that you can do fun things with and that you love and love, you have shared interests and things like that. But what I am saying is that your friendships could go to a next level, I think. And I think God is desiring for our friendships to go to the next level, to center in on Jesus and even to ask the Lord God, this is my friend and we're close, but, but why? Like, why? Why is this friend in my life? Why is this close? God, do you have a purpose for this friendship beyond just having fun? Beyond just somebody I can call when I'm in a pinch, right? Because he actually might. And those friendships, what we'll see kind of through these stories and through one story at the end is that God can do a lot with two people who are submitted to his will. He can do a lot. And I wonder if God would want to do something that would affect this world through relationships that are in this room, through friendships that are in this room. I remember remember when I was a, a freshman in college, I had recently just had a powerful encounter with the Lord and God was leading me to actually do something I'd never done before, right? I was do something I'd never done. At that time, but specifically at that time, I had some friends, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but some friends who I was seeking to really go after God, and my friends were seeking to go after the world. And they started getting into the partying scene and different things like that, and I was kind of getting wrapped up in that narrative with them. And I knew at that moment with what God had just done in my heart and where I felt him leading me, I couldn't go with them, right? And so I was like, I experienced like probably about two to three months 
of like loneliness, you could say, at that time. I was like, you know, I don't really have much friends. I don't really know what God would have me do, right? Um, but then I actually met, I actually rekindled the relationship, and it was actually from Rez. I don't know if he's even here right now, but Eli declined. Me and him kind of like ran back into each other, and God had just done something really wild in his heart. And then we just started, we started hanging out and texting each other and doing all these different things, and it was super, super fun. But all of a sudden, we, had, we came to this point where we had a shared experience in the power, in like a powerful experience in the presence of the Lord together. And then it was one Monday night, and I felt on my heart that God was asking us to start an evangelism group that would go out from our house on Monday nights. And so this one friend that I had been connecting with, and maybe we'd been sharing scripture together and different things like that, we were building each other up. But all of a sudden, now our, that unity that we had as friends, all of a sudden now had a mission applied to it. I call him up and I say, dude, what if we did this? And he goes, bro, I'm in, let's go. And so all of these people are coming over to my house on a Monday night. I actually had like, I had a bunch of high schoolers actually coming over to my house that night. And I'm like so psyched. I'm like really excited. I'm like, this is going to be great. Like, wow, God's going to move. We're going to see people get saved and all this different stuff in the mall. And all of a sudden it hits me. I'm like, I'm 19 years old. And I'm having a bunch of like, you know, high schoolers come over to my house and I'm supposed to lead them on evangelism. I have no idea what I'm doing. And all of a sudden I started seeing all these images of like just it all blowing up in my face. You know, like all these like high schoolers coming up and getting cussed out by different people. And like, you know, just like I'm seeing all these images just kind of roll in my brain. It's just worst case scenario in my head. And I was like, dang, that could really happen. But then followed by that was also another scenario of what if these high schoolers who come actually did see somebody healed? What if they did see somebody saved? And what if this night on a Monday night gave them kind of a stone of remembrance or something to look back on and say, I know God works through me powerfully and he wants to do it in my day-to-day -day life. And all of a sudden I was re-fired up again. I was like, let's go. Anyway, and so we came, we gathered together and we had no idea what we were doing, but we had fifth, about, probably around 10 people come that first night and we went out to the local mall and sure enough, God moved powerfully in that night through words of knowledge, moved powerfully through divine appointments where somebody literally was sitting in Barnes and Nobles and one of the high schoolers ran up to them and, and said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. And then this, this lady was like, I literally prayed this morning that somebody would come up to me and share Jesus with me. Like crazy stuff. And we all came back and we were so fired up. And what started from that Monday night was actually a weekly evangelism that we started doing on Monday nights. And we had no idea that this would be birthed from it. But hundreds of people just in the mall now have been impacted because of that one friendship where we said, man, we have a shared unity. We're building each other up. And man, this, we're having fun together. This is so fun. But I wonder if there's something more that God intended for this relationship. I wonder if there could be a mission applied to our friendship. And all throughout, all throughout the Bible, we see God really going after these mission-minded friendships. So the very first example of relationship that he builds is in Genesis, Genesis 1, when he creates Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 1, verse 27 through 28, this is what it says. So God created man in his own image 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, right? So, okay, so he blessed them. There's the unity. God's building them up. He created them. He formed them in his image. They have a relationship. It's, it's man and woman together and God walking in the cool of the day. This is the, this is the scene that we get. There's a shared unity here. But now what does God say to them the very next verse? After he creates a male and female in his image, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What do we see here? God created this relationship. He created the union of man and woman in marriage. He creates this shared unity, but then he gives them a shared mission together. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. You've been made in my image. Now reflect that image to the rest of creation and subdue this earth and make it look more like heaven, right? There's a shared mission. Later in Genesis, we see someone else come on the scene. His name is Abraham. And Abraham is the first person that receives a covenantal call from God. He's sometimes called the father of our faith. But in James 2.23, there's actually a separate title that is given to Abraham. And in my opinion, this is probably the best title that anybody could ever get. James 2 verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Just gonna let that one sit there. Do we realize that that opportunity is on the table? Even before we have friendships with anybody to our right or to our left. Jesus made a way for us to be friends with God. And if Abraham was called a friend of God, man, I don't know about y'all, I want to be a friend of God. It says in Psalms 25, I don't have a verse up on the screen for this, but Psalms 25, 11 through 12, it says, the friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. What does that tell me? It tells me that anyone who steps in to fear the Lord has an opportunity for friendship with the God of the universe will submit to him. Woo. That messes me up a little bit in the best way. So Abraham is called a friend of God, right? So how does this friendship start? Well, first off, God establishes a covenant with Abraham. And basically what he says, what that covenant relationship is, basically it's a type of relationship that's more prevalent in the Middle Eastern Mesopotamian time frame that Abraham lived in, but um, it's a type of relationship in which two parties make promises together and actually bind their lives to one another. And the, so the only type of covenant that we see in our Western world today is the covenant of marriage. That's the only one that we see kind of in our Western world played out where two people become one flesh and all of their, their uh, assets are merged together. They become one, Right. But what do they do in a, in a marriage covenant? They make promises to each other or they recite vows, right? We know how it goes if you've been to a wedding, like to have and to hold in sickness and in health till death do us apart. Like I'm, you're basically saying I'm bound to you for the rest of our lives, right? And that's the way that God intended it. So God creates this covenant 
with Abraham. So there's a shared unity. But now look at the mission that he gives to his close friend, Abraham. Genesis 15, verse 5 through 6 says, And he brought him outside, Abraham, outside, and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. Right after this verse, God goes on to tell Abraham that his descendants are going to occupy the land as far as he can see. And from Abraham, there would actually be a people, a nation that would be in relationship with God and reflect his image to the rest of the world. That was the shared mission that God had for his friend, Abraham. A little bit later, so uh, exiting Exiting Genesis and entering into Exodus, Moses and God, Moses was also another man found in the Old Testament who was called a friend of God. Exodus 33 verse 11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Again, guys, like, oh, God talked with Moses literally face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's available for us, right? So Moses was considered God's friend. He spoke to him face to face, right? And so there's the unity there, the shared unity that Moses has with God. But then the mission is actually first in the story of Moses, and this is in Exodus 3, verse 10. We know the story of the burning bush, The burning bush, Moses approaches the burning bush and God speaks to him from this burning bush and basically says to him, Exodus 3 verse 10, he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses and God, they had a shared unity together. They spoke to each other face to face, but they also had the shared mission of leading over two million people out of slavery and into the land that God had promised Abraham. That was their shared mission. So now you might be thinking to yourself, okay, like maybe this is all Old Testament, right? Not so fast. There's one more in the New Testament. We're looking at Jesus and his disciples now. Jesus is in his disciples. Jesus calls his 12 disciples. These are his 12 friends that he lives with, right? He does ministry with, right? But this is the first thing that's said about them in the, in the book of Mark, Mark 3, verse 4 through fi- 14 through 15. Right after he had called, he'd assembled all of the Avengers, if you want to say it that way. He got his team all together, like they're all, they're all ready to go, Autobots ready to roll out. And he says, in four, verse 14, 15, he says, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Do you see it there? Do you see the shared unity that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach? I know that there are some life-giving. We talked about last week how friendship is basically two people coming together, building one another up and coming into this, contributing this life to one another that flows up in a fountain that brings glory to God. It's not a take and a give, but it's actually two people contributing to this life-giving relationship, right? And I believe that there are friendships in this room right now 
that, that you guys are with each other, you have a shared unity, and you're building up each other in, in different areas. Maybe you, you connect and you're having fun and you have fun, but I feel like God wants to download a kingdom-minded mission to your friendship from tonight. And I just wonder, I just wonder what would happen if we asked God, if we came to him and we said, God, why have you put us together, right? Last week, we talked about the, our key question was, who is in your boat, right? Who are those five people that are close to you in your life, right? And we, we basically looked at, man, we're, we're going to average out to be like the, the five people that are closest to us in our life. So do we like the people that we're hanging out with? And do we want to go where they're going, right? Who are those people inside and who do you want to be inside your boat, Right? But some of you guys, you're saying, man, I think I have those five people. And yes, like, I think I'm cool with like ending up where they're ending up like. And, you know, I'm, I'm banding those people together. And now I want us to take it a step further, not from just who's in our boat and where that's going to lead us, but why are they in your boat? What is the heavenly perspective that God is like? What's the heavenly mindset? What is God intended and purpose for your friendship? And could it be something more than just you two being encouraged in one another? So could it be something more than just basketball on the weekends and hanging out and watching movies? Could it be something that God actually intends to affect this entire world? I believe it can. And I believe that God wants to download a vision and a mission to our friendships tonight. How I want to end tonight is actually by telling one more story. And this, this story is a, of a man who's got a very strange name. Are you ready? His name is Count Zinzendorf. Count Zinzendorf. Kind of sounds like he should be in like a mix of like Star Wars and Lord of the Wings. Lord of the Wings, yeah, the Wings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, right? This is what Count Zinzendorf said. He said, there can be no Christianity without community. In 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the door of the Catholic Church at the time, basically saying that the way the Catholic Church was operating was not in the fullest intent of what God had, the fullest way that God had intended it to operate. And so from that, he started actually a new sect of Christians called the Lutherans, who eventually became and merged into the Protestants, Protestant faith. About 200 years after uh, Luther had started this new community of believers and this new sect of Christianity, um, there was a great persecution that actually came upon uh, the Protestants at that time. And a lot of people in a certain area of Europe at the time, which they termed Moravia and some, some of those surrounding areas, were actually forced to flee. And they fled into the country of Germany seeking refuge. And Count Zinzendorf was one of these uh, pro Protestants at the time who was very, very convinced that God not only wanted to meet us through, um, through the word of God, but he actually wanted to meet us by his spirit, like spirit and truth. He believed that there was, there was something about God that could be reached through our mind, but there was also another level of God that had to be reached experientially by his spirit. And so when all of these people started fleeing from Arabia because of the persecution, Count Zindendorf actually opened up his home. He opened up his home. 
and a series of homes, which later became uh, a settlement. And by the, by the time of, so by 1727, there was over 300 people that Count Zinzendorf was actually housing. 300 refugees that had fled and that he was housing in his one house, right? So now you have 300 people that are living communally. Um, I don't know what the bathroom situation was like, but man, it couldn't have been pretty. And they all like shared food, all this stuff. 300 people living together. I think we could all guess. There's probably a little bit of tension, right? Probably a little tension between these people. And that's what Count Zinzendorf started to notice is that these 300 people were actually at each other's throats. And these people who all had a shared Protestant faith were all starting to become divided even over their Protestant faith and over which um, theological backing and camp you stood in and all these different stuff. There was a bunch of dissension, right? And Count Zinzendorf, he saw this and he just hit his knees in prayer. And so he had this community of people, right? But they're all backbiting and they're all going after each other, right? And he hits his knees in prayer. And the Lord speaks to him a verse out of Leviticus 6, verse 13. In Leviticus 6, verse 13, it says, Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually, and it shall not go out. And all of a sudden, the Lord gives Count Zinzendorf an image of his head of 24-7 prayer and worship that's supposed to start from his house. And so he starts in 1727. He starts a 24-7 prayer and worship gathering. And these people who were all at each other's throats and bickering and all this different stuff, he starts employing them and saying, guys, we need to pull together if we're going to do this thing with, with the Lord. We're going to pull together. Like, you're going to cover two in the morning. You're going to cover three in the morning. Why don't you all group out and you watch, you know, the 7 a.m. and you take the 11 p.m. And they had different people scheduled for hours throughout the day that would cover these prayer and worship sets. And what Count Zinzendorf noticed is that all of the dissension, all of the bickering, all of the bike backbiting, it started to decrease and eventually diminish. It was gone. And Count Zinzendorf didn't know this, but there was actually two people that showed up at that first prayer and worship gathering in 1727 who were living in his community. Two friends. 36-year-old David Nitschman and 26-year-old J- Johan Dober. How, how is that for names? Wow. They both show up at this 24-hour uh, prayer and worship gathering. So this 24-hour prayer and worship gathering starts in 1727. It, it continues, and it goes one year, two year of consistent prayer and worship, three years, four years. And at five years, all of a sudden, these two friends who were in this prayer house communing. They had a shared unity together. They were, they were experiencing the presence of the Lord through this mission, mission-minded community that was hosting these 24-7 prayer and worship gatherings. All of a sudden, the Lord burdens their heart for a group of people who had been not exposed to the gospel before. And at that time, at that time, the, the people group that specifically they felt called to were the African slaves. And the slave ring was actually going on at that time, and it was terrible, right? But they felt called to actually go to one of the biggest plantations at the time in St. Thomas and go and preach the gospel. But they had one problem. There was no legal way for them to enter into the slave ring. There was no legal way. 
So they decided in their hearts that these two, they were going to sell themselves as slaves to go work on the plantation in hopes that they might find a few souls that would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they left on a boat and they impacted that community for the gospel of Jesus. In a community, when they arrived, there was actually a group of, a group of slaves at that time that they said to these two people who got, to, these two people, to Johanna, Johanna and David, they said to them, we thought that the relationship with God that all of the white people experienced at that time, we thought it was actually closed off to us. But since you have come, now we believe that God wants relationship with all people and not just the slave owners. These two friends had shared unity, but all of a sudden God burdened their heart for a shared mission. And the gospel broke through to a people group that had not broken through before. That prayer gathering that Count Zinzendorf started ended up going on for a hundred years straight. A hundred years of continual 24-7 prayer and worship. And from that gathering, there was hundreds of missionaries that were sent all over the world to preach the gospel. And one person who showed up at that gathering, who we might know well of, famous American evangelist, was John Wesley. And he showed up at that prayer gathering. And his life was so marked by the love and power of God, he had to come back to the United States and England, and he had to preach about it. And our lives today, our lives have been impacted because of what Count Zinzendorf started, because of what Johan and David what those people have started. Because there's a group of friends, there's a community of people who said, I believe that God has us together for something more. We have a shared unity together, but could it be that God wants us to function in a shared mission? Could it be? Bow your heads with me as we pray. Jesus, we come before you. We love you, Lord. And we set our eyes on you, Father. We set our eyes on you. Jesus, you are so good. And Lord, I ask right now, God, that by your spirit, Lord God, that you would come, you would make dreams and visions, Lord God, come to life inside of the hearts of everyone who can hear my voice. Anyone who's listening, even to the podcast, I pray that dreams and visions would come to life inside of their heart. God, would you release and download a vision and a mission for our friendships, God? Would you, would you download a kingdom purpose, Lord, to the, the reason why we're all gathered here together, God? Lord, I believe, Lord, that nations of the world could be impacted because of friendships that are in this room. Lord, I believe, Lord God, that homeless communities in this city could be ministered to like never before because of the friendships in this room. God, I believe, Lord, that businesses that are established because on your kingdom and for the purposes of the kingdom could be started from people in this room. 
God, would you make divine connections, Lord, divine friendships, Lord, and divine visions come alive in our hearts. We're open for you. We're open for you. Lord, we love you. And before we dismiss tonight, I just, I never like to leave a service without giving people an opportunity to step into the fullness of relationship with God. Jesus died, was buried, and ultimately was raised to life so that we could be redeemed from sin, so that we could be saved from a life that was heading to destruction and hell, and that we could be opened up to fullness of God, eternal life, both now and forever with him in heaven. And his invitation for you tonight, he's not saying you have to clean yourself up. He's not saying that you have to do X, Y, Z before he'll accept. He's saying all you have to do is turn from your sin. Come humbly before me and call out to me. Call my name. It says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's time for you today to enter into this relationship with Christ. For your heart to be open to the light of the gospel. To accept the sacrifice that God has given you to open up the gift that has been laying in front of you for so, so long. And if that's you tonight, you're saying, I'm ready. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm done living this life of sin. I'm done living this life of compromise. I want Jesus to be the Lord and the King of my life. On the count of three, would you raise your hand? One. Two, three, would you raise your hand? You're saying, that's me. I want to get right with God. I want to give him my life. That's awesome. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Hands going up. Thank you, Father. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Would everyone repeat this prayer after me all together? Say, everyone say, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you died and that you rose again, defeating sin, death, and the devil. And God, I give you all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I make you the king and the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, will you fill me up and help me walk more like Jesus? Love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up for those people. Thank you, Jesus. Come on.